0: The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we look for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This This Fuck Get to the chopper
1: (laughs) You're pretty good at that
0: Did I tell you about the story about uh, Sacramento Tower? No So back in the day when we were at Sandpiper uh, I I was based in LA when they opened up the jet base there And uh, I used to do these trips uh, Like LA to Sacramento uh, And back, you know And it was one Sunday afternoon uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor of, uh, of California, and uh, I was flying with a pretty cool guy, you know, and I, and I was an FO, and I was having a good time. And, and at Sacramento Tower on a Sunday is pretty dead. There's like four commercial flights a day going in there, so here we are, middle of the afternoon, and it was just a turn for us. And we're coming in, and the the approach controller clears us for the visual, and and off to the tower for a base leg. And uh, I look at my captain; he's flying. I'm on the radios, and I go. Sacramento Tower, this is Sandpiper. One, two, three, four. On the visual, landing on the runway, <laughs> and the captain looks at me mortified, <laughs> and the tower controller is cracking up, laughing, and he goes like, "Oh, Arnold, that I didn't realize. It must be your day job on the weekend." I'm like, "That's right." You know? And so, they're like, "Oh, you're cleared. You're cleared to land. You're cleared the option. Anything for you." Uh, you <laughs> know, and I go understand we're going to land you will like it <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> the captain looks over at me just like don't ever do that again <laughs> are you kidding me <laughs> the tower controller was cracking up he was like oh. all right Sam Piper, you are uh clear to exit the runway you can taxi the gate any way you want sir <laughs> and i was like thank you we'll see you later bye <laughs> We were dying laughing. Oh my god! Oh, my cap. Great, we got all the way dude. to the gate. My cap looks at me. He's like, oh, "Don't, don't do that. I, I just, just don't." I'd
1: be like, "Why? What? What is wrong with you? This is the way I talk. You're Are you like racist? You What's wrong with you? You in Austria? This is the way we talk. You got a
0: tumor now or something? It's not a tumor. <laughs> Shut up." <laughs> Who is your daddy, and what does he do?
1: <laughs> it's a valid question with him. Anyway, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, the day that this job becomes a job and not a passion, I'm gonna be looking for other employment. Um, I'm I've been practicing. I've been practicing. Welcome to Walmart. Would you like a basket? I'm just saying. Just saying, huh? oh man. Well, anyway, let's get started. You're listening to Ooh. Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of aviator Tony, his co-hosts, and his guests. Together, we will explore the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 56 of Squawk Eye Dent, recorded on the 25th of September, 2020, from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's show, I am joined by an extraordinary pilot and co-host, Mr. Rob D. Together, we will explore many topics today, From what happens when a pilot calls in sick to holding over DFW, waiting for them to change the runways around. That's right, they physically pick them up and move them into the direction of the wind. On the last show, we also mentioned that we were going to discuss overflying Cuba. But because of time constraints, that topic was cut from the show. We're going to make sure that we get to that today. Also, the 737 MAX, it's coming back and training has begun. All this and more on this episode of Squawk ID. But before we begin, let us take a moment to thank Captain John H from episode 55, Restricted Medicals, French Simulators, Lasers, and 9-11. I personally learned a great deal about how so many aviators out there have overcome some tremendous obstacles and still continue to have successful aviation careers. Thanks again, John, for sharing your story with us before we get any further, let us start out by introducing one of my fantastic Squawk Ident co-hosts. He is a former international professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP in avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, and a 737 pilot for Legacy Airlines. From his fortress of isolation from somewhere in Flower Mound, Texas, where he is recovering from a long week of flying with Jerry Springer guests from around the country. For those of you too young to know who Jerry Springer is, look up Bill Donahue and prepare to get woke. Please help me welcome you back to the show, Rob D. Rob, how the heck are you? What's up, Tony? I'm doing really really good. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. So, crazy week. Uh, yes. we've been busy. Which, you know, is me always too. a
1: blessing, I think.
0: Yeah. What have you been up to? Yeah.
1: Well, i've been busy too flew a three-day trip and um it was a uh, a pretty good trip operationally no delays uh, really to speak of um started off on the first day which was tuesday we flew uh, dfw to phoenix and uh got to phoenix fairly early got there about 10 o'clock in the morning so i had all, all day to kill um so nothing really crazy just uh went out for a walk and, uh, got some exercise in, and, uh, then me and the captain joined up for dinner and we went and uh, had dinner at Garcia's, which is a really good restaurant in Phoenix, Mexican restaurant. I've been around for, uh, gosh, I think it's close to 30 or 40 years. Wow. So if anytime you're in the Phoenix area, actually, I think they have them out there in California too. They're called Garcia's. Um, uh, excellent margaritas by the way (laughs) so uh, that was a good overnight great meal great great uh uh, conversations with uh my captain uh the next day we uh, did a vegas turn and um went after uh we got back to phoenix we did uh phoenix to st louis quick overnight in st louis nothing to speak of there no real surprises on uh any of the flights that day, uh, got to St. Louis, spent the night there. And then the last day, the third day, which is Thursday yesterday, we flew from uh, St. Louis to Dallas and then we did a Mexico city turn. And, uh, man, uh, Mexico city is, uh, (laughs) it's pretty hazy down there and a lot of terrain. I think you've been down there before. Um, uh, but, uh, it was, Still pretty uh, slow, you know, aviation-wise. There wasn't that much traffic going in there. I heard a couple of the Mexican carriers flying in. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I think United was flying in there. And uh, I think I heard a FedEx guy also going in at the same time. But uh, usually, you know, that's that's a really busy airport, and it didn't sound that busy that day. Uh, But on the way back, it got a little interesting coming back into Dallas. Uh, Not sure if you're ready to talk about it, but, uh, yeah, it was It was just, uh, you know, getting back, uh, headed back to Dallas. We were working on probably the, the fifth, sixth hour of our eight hour flying day. So, uh, you know, we're pretty much on the backside of the power curve as far as energy level goes. And, uh, we were, we had just crossed over the border and checked on with, uh, Houston center and, uh, they gave us a different arrival than what we were cleared. So in DFW, um, The uh, RNAV arrivals uh, are pretty much are set up predicated on the direction or the flow of the arriving aircraft into DFW, whether it be a north flow or a south flow. So when we uh, first got cleared into DFW, we had a north flow arrival, and we got checked in on checked in with Houston. They uh, turned, they gave us a different arrival for a south flow. So, uh yeah, me and the captain looked at each other. We pulled up the, the latest weather report, the ATIS, and it says they were still in a north flow. So I queried the controller. I said, hey, are they switching the airport around? And they're like, well, they haven't done it yet, but they're getting ready to, and that's why we're issuing you the, uh, the the new ah. revised arrival clearance. They're like, okay. So we programmed the, uh, the uh, computer, the flight, the FMC the flight mode computer for the, uh, the new arrival to reflect the, uh, the change of runway operations in Dallas. And as soon as we checked on with, uh, with Fort Worth center, which is the, uh, you know, the, uh, controllers that work all the arrivals into Dallas, uh, they said, Hey, advise when you're ready to copy holding instructions. (laughs) Nice. Dun, dun, dun. So of course, you know, it's like, ah, man, this is the last thing we need is a hold you know usually usually uh when they turn the airport around it really is pretty quick and you know you rarely have to hold um because they can space out the aircraft uh uh with you know with the way that the traffic has been lately pretty light um but Dallas being one of the busiest airports in the world uh we're still operating at a pretty high capacity right now so uh they issued us a hold and so we went into a hold And uh, we started off at the hold at like 32,000 feet, and we descended down to 24,000 feet. And we held there for, it was about five minutes while they uh, turned the airport around. Yeah. And finally, we were getting ready to query them because we didn't really have that much time to hold. We had about 10 minutes of holding fuel on board. And uh, so uh, right when I was about to ask them, hey, how long is this hold gonna be? Uh, Actually, I forgot to tell you, they gave us an EFC time, Mm -hmm. which uh, I don't know if those aviators out there know what that stands for. It's uh, instrument instrument words for expect further clearance. Um, So basically it's a time that we can expect another clearance from the controller. And uh, they give you that time basically for contingency purposes, like if you lose radio comms while you're in the hold – uh this e f c time is a hard time that uh that the controllers give you if you lose calm. you can now proceed from your uh holding fix and continue on your route um uh, to your destination uh so that you're not holding indefinitely and wondering what you should do if if you can't talk to anybody yeah. so anyway. EFC time. So uh, we, we, uh, we were coming up on our, upon our EFC time, which was about 10 minutes, which was about the time as much time, like I said, we had in holding fuel. And uh, when I began to query the controller, he's like, ah, oh, you're cleared direct to uh you know, this fix and continue on the arrival. So we were pretty uh, relieved about that because uh, uh, as, as you know, Tony, you know, we're, we're regulated with flight time and duty time and all that stuff. And already coming up on eight hours of flying that day, we were, pretty much right up against our uh our limitation so if we would have diverted it would have most likely meant that uh it would have been the final flight of the day yeah <laughs> we wouldn't you be able to stuck continue. There. Yeah. yeah so uh we uh we were able to continue back in the dallas landed uh you know uneventfully and uh, taxied on into the gate cleared customs and um you know off i went and so uh yeah that was that was my week it was uh I forget how many hours we flew, but I, I know yesterday was was eight hours plus of flying you know, eight eight hours and ten minutes, and uh, did a total of sixteen hours and eight minutes in uh, three short days. So wow, pretty that's, good. That's that's very good. You know, and you brought up yeah.
0: some really great points, and I'd like to dive into these a little bit more. Yeah. Number one, most importantly, when you drink or order a margarita, do you do salt <laughs> on the rim or no salt? <laughs> that's a good question some people do sugar too right Everywhere yeah the like the strawberry margaritas they do sugar yeah yeah i do salt
1: you do the salt i like i like the salt And do you do I- blended or do you do cube? well these came blended they come uh, some some people all people like did. them on the rocks yeah. yeah yeah these were frozen they were good man yeah. I-, I mean i only had one i i i'm not much of a drinker so uh one is all i needed and one I and done really i'm the enjoyed same it. way it was- yeah. Yeah. One I'm cheap done. Date. But it, it yeah, me too. That's what the captain says. He's like yeah, I'll bring you out to dinner anytime. Cause you know, this is a cheap dinner for me. So, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it was good, man. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, normally i even, uh, I don't normally have an alcoholic beverage for dinner. Um, just, that's just not my first choice, you know? So, uh, Mm-hmm. But this one just, just the right time, you know, right yeah. place. It especially hot summer really
0: evening or, you know, or lunch. Yeah. And, yeah especially yeah, it was really Phoenix. really dry I mean, out come there. On. Yeah. So, yeah, let's dive into what, what happened. So, you, you flew a week. You've had what I would say is like a regular trip. No major events, no, you know, delays, yeah. major delays of any kind. Uh, you stayed right. within the parameters of your original schedule, but you did yep. come up against a couple. Barriers. One was your. You mentioned your flight time, duty time periods. Uh, you mentioned you flew a little bit over eight hours, which uh now depending on what your start time is for the day, with FAR 117, which is the Federal Aviation Regulation that regulates uh, rest requirements for pilots, and which is all encompassing with duty time and flight time. So you have to look at your home base time, and you have to look at uh, what time you started that day. Regardless of right. where you are in the country or in the world, and you have to figure out okay, uh, how much rest did I get? What time am I starting? And you go through the charts that they have, and you can look these up. Right. You can Google these things, uh, re- regular, t- uh, relatively easily, uh, and, and you see you can your limits like nine hours, right. right? So for you that for that day your limit was nine hours, and you were blocked to fly eight hours and ten minutes. So you had a fifty minute. Buffer. Now, if on that very first leg that you flew for the day that got delayed in the air and you, you went over an hour delay in the air, so you flew an hour longer than scheduled, they would have had to have removed you from the other legs potentially. Right. Um, and then you'd be stuck somewhere to get your mandatory rest before you can come back, usually with a deadhead or something. Um, so you were getting pretty close. Yeah. But what I'd like to focus on a little bit is holding. Now, for those people out there that may not be everyday aviators uh, or haven't started their instrument training yet, that is something that is kind of scary for someone who's a private pilot and they just got their PPL and they're like, oh, now I'm ready to go study my instruments. And they realize that, you know, you get a taste of it during your private pilot training, but then once you really start diving into the rules and regulations, you realize that everything is set up for a reason. You mentioned EFCs, which I'd like to talk a little bit about. And you mentioned switching their airports around. So let's talk right. about the airports. So you were coming in from the south, obviously, from Mexico City, uh, mm-hmm. which is another topic. We, if we have uh, time, we'll kind of get into that. But, um, And they gave you an arrival that was not what you had filed so correct the first red flag went up and i like you queried atc and said hey um okay what's going on and they explained it to you when they give you a holding clearance
1: do you recall what it was yeah it was um and i actually before i dive into that one little minor detail Mm -hmm. that i miss which really doesn't it's it it plays into the big scheme of things but uh I kind of overlooked it was uh, when we checked on and they gave us the revised um, arrival, Mm -hmm. as they said, slow to your slowest practical speed. Ah, yeah, that's a good one. And that, and that's a good one too. Right. And, uh, going on to, uh, it will probably lead until, you know, uh, add more detail to the discussion, but obviously that is to provide more time for them to turn the airplane around as we approach the airport. So we slowed down to I think it was 220 knots. That was yeah. our slowest speed at that altitude? So
0: yeah. And how do you um, how do you get that with the swept wing jet aircraft? Do you just arbitrarily slow to a particular <laughs> speed? Right. Is there like an indicator on your airspeed? I know on on the well, Airbus there's a green dot, which is the slowest dot. speed. Yeah possible in that configuration yeah
1: so we we don't have a green dot i think we have what we call an up bug but um that up bug is uh honestly i, I believe that is only for a uh, take off and drift down stuff uh, honestly I, I need to review the books on that i'm sorry but um we we uh, on our um airspeed in indicator probably like the airbus you know we have low speed awareness and overspeed um awareness symbols on it so um what we normally do is give ourselves about a 10 knot buffer on the low speed awareness uh indicator so that you know obviously you don't want to go slower than than the low speed awareness cuz then you start triggering a whole bunch of alarms on there so uh, 220 at at the altitude that we were at was uh was about the uh, the right airspeed for that and we also have in the FMC um the flight uh, management selection for, for the yeah, flight yeah. management computer for like long range crews um it'll give you recommended holding speeds which we always add a buffer to that because usually the recommended holding speed is like right at that low speed awareness tape ah. so um it's it's kind of like well yeah you can go down to here but if you go below it you start triggering all kinds of alerts and stuff like that. So we always stay above that. So, Mm uh, so yeah, that's, uh, I don't know if we answered the the original question, but yeah, the uh, speed and what what speed you. Yeah.
0: And so you slow to your speed. And that also makes sense. And I don't know if you, you kind of scratched the surface on this, but all right, so you're in route and all of a sudden ATC says you can expect holding. If they haven't given it to you, I And I believe, you know, you and I have talked about this before. The first thing you should query the air traffic controller is, can we uh, slow to a speed at our discretion? Uh, Right. Because why are you in a hurry to get to a holding fix and turn in circles for an hour where maybe you can slow down uh, and slow to a more uh, practical slower speed? Yeah. Yeah, and now when you get to that, when you finally get to that holding fix, maybe by then you may not have to hold at all.
1: Exactly. So now yeah, that's the whole theory.
0: Yeah. So you slowed. They gave you the they gave you the holding instructions. And and that's yep. what I was asking. Um, so they, they probably said legacy, right. you know, one, two, three. What what was your clearance right. like? Do you remember?
1: Yeah. So, you know, the initial call was, you know, like a legacy one, two, three, advise and ready to copy holding instructions. And we're like, okay, stand by and we got a pen and paper out. Opened up the arrival chart so that we can reference the fixes on the chart. Mm-hmm. And they said, all right, you're cleared directly to the kilo intersection. Hold over kilo as published. Um, flight le- descend and maintain flight level 240. EFC is uh 2105. So I read back the clearance, direct clear direct to kilo, descend to two four zero, hold is published, EFC 2105. So uh uh, built the uh, hold in the compute in the f m c went direct to the hole we were at thirty four thousand feet at that time, I believe, or thirty five thousand and we descended as we uh made our way to the hold. we were still above twenty four thousand feet when we entered a hold, and we descended from like thirty thousand feet down to twenty four thousand feet and held um, at the kilo intersection uh mm-hmm. for it was about ten minutes, yep,
0: yeah so you, you descended in, as soon as you cross that holding fix, now the, you have to verify it's sterile cockpit at that point, because right. both pilots are very focused on making sure that the airplane is doing what you anticipated exactly. it would do. And so yeah. and now you've entered the hold, you can see that the, uh, your, your MFD or your MD changes. Now there's a hold depicted that is now activated, and the air, little airplane on your moving map display Starts to turn. You're like, okay, I'm entered the hold. So, exactly, you got a time tune twist throttle talk or right? Is I think that's what the GA uh, right turn
1: time turn or tune time twist throttle talk. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. (laughs) So, so you told ATC,
0: yeah, we've entered the hold. And, you know, you're, right. as you're descending through there and into your protected yep, airspace. Required reports, yeah. Required report, yeah. And so now you're holding. And, and the passengers in the back, they know this, right? Because they feel the airplane going in a circle. It's always, like, leading to the right or leading to the left, yep. you know? Um, yep. Usually a captain turns on the seatbelt sign, makes a PA, lets them know what's going on, has to notify the flight attendants of exactly. what's happening. Because the flight attendants, they do this for a living. They know, oh, crap, why are we yep. holding, you know? Uh, there's no weather. Yep. Why are we holding? And it takes time for the aircraft operations to reverse the flow. So you have maybe 5 or 6 airplanes coming in to land in the south direction and now you have to wait until that very last airplane lands, clears the runway before you can start letting airplanes come in into the north direction, landing north. Exactly. Um so yep. that's why you're holding because you're you're kind of waiting for this, you know, protected area to be cleared so you don't have two airplanes pointed at each other exactly. basically. Now, this when this happens, this doesn't just affect the airport operations. This affects operations downstream, all the way through somebody who might be on the ground at a particular airport that That's now right. has been. There's no weather, and they're taxing out. Maybe uh, I'm in Vegas, ready to go to DFW, and they're like, "Yeah, there's flow into the DFW. Your EFC is, uh, or your uh, ed- edic time, edict. your estimate yep. departure clearance time." Your edict yep. time is now uh, you know, twenty minutes from now, and you're like, What? What? What the hell is going on? Why? <laughs> the weather's beautiful. What are they out nuts? There? Why would they do every them? time I leave Vegas? This is the crap they pull. Well, it's because right. it's all happening like a domino effect downstream. Now, by the time you take right. off,
1: you're gonna be able to catch up, no problem. You know, it's not a big yep. deal. Or basically they fill in the they fill in the gaps as you get airborne as they, as they they can. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot to this and, you know, in the airplane,
0: we're doing more than sipping coffee and reading newspapers yeah. at cruise, you know, yeah. pushing that, pushing yeah. that, uh, cruise button on that autopilot. I don't
1: think yeah. so. <laughs> most people don't realize, I mean, when you, when you are issued a holding clearance, um, it, it gets pretty busy up in the cockpit. I mean, uh, there's, there's certain things and you already alluded to most of it, uh, you know, when, uh, we have to talk, talk to the passengers, talk to the flight attendants. Um, of course the required report to ATC is there. And also we let our dispatchers know what's happening too, so that they're in the loop. Most likely they're already in the loop. Um, but, uh, they, uh, definitely love, or they, they, uh, I think it's required that we contact them with the information that we've received from ATC, sure. um, so that they can, uh, they can monitor our progress and and most more importantly, you know the whole reason um, we do this is, uh, is is basically for safety, you know we we want to make sure we track our our fuel burn because uh, like we as you all know, or most of us know, we don't carry full tanks of gas around all day long. We only plan um, to arrive at the airport with a certain amount of fuel and uh, we have contingency fuel, which is usually forty five minutes past our destination or alternate airport and then a little bit of contingency fuel for holding, which in our case we ended up using and that's it. So once you burn through that contingency fuel, uh, you need to be going to an airport to land, whether it be your destination or your alternate. Um, so long, that was a long way of just saying we're busy up there monitoring and calculating our, um, our bingo fuel bingo is a aviation buzzword for lowest amount of fuel we need to have in the tanks before we start going somewhere so uh we end up uh, uh you know departing the hold safely and uh, getting to where we need to be i need a, i need to pull out my
0: my uh metal e6b and pull that out <laughs> and keep it in my kit bag and next time i enter a hold i'm going to look to the captain and be like don't worry i got this <laughs> <laughs> i got this man
1: <laughs> Yeah. so it's 4.1 is that 41 that i use or... <laughs> yeah yeah that's fun it's, stuff they look at me and it, like it <laughs> all works it all applies today in the airplane like, oh yeah get to work
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so no it it does get very busy and absolutely everything you mentioned uh comes into yep. play now this all can come into play in a matter of about two and three minutes because that's right as soon as you enter the hold the non flying pilot, like you said, has got to notify ATC. They're going to notify dispatch. Dispatch, you know, the first airplane that went into hold for that segment, all the other airplanes that they're working are going to now have a, all right, ding, ding, here, here it goes. Uh, let's get ready for this. So they're already calculating fuel. Now, do you remember, did you have a destination alternate to, uh,
1: that day? No, we didn't. You didn't. Uh, the weather so- was good. There's no alternate, so.
0: so when the dispatcher, yeah. you know, filed your flight plan and calculated yep. the fuel necessary to conduct this flight from an international destination to Dallas Fort Worth, they put in there the FA minimum, which is 45 minutes of what we call now dynamic fuel reserves, uh, mm-hmm. which changes. Not it's not a, it's not a uh, how many pounds of fuel because that's how we. That's how we measure fuel in an airplane. We don't go by gallons, we go by pounds. Right. Now the guy down there on the ramp that's loading the airplane it loads gallons into your airplane. Right. However, you know, they have a conversion chart because everything in our paperwork and the dispatch paperwork is by pounds, because it's all that's about right. weight and balance. So they calculated that, and usually they have a buffer in there. They sometimes have, uh, if there's no alternate required. Sometimes they'll have some what's called dispatch add, where the dispatcher will add a couple thousand pounds of fuel uh, for just this scenario. Because the last thing you want to do is have a relatively short flight where it's clear in a million, day VFR, you have 45 minutes of dynamic reserve, which doesn't give you much, and now you're getting there and something happens, and now you're holding. Okay? (sighs) Okay. now worst case scenario you've got minutes (laughs) to figure this out because if that airport doesn't open up or that runway doesn't open up and now you're you're stuck there and you're eating into your 45 minutes of reserve you better hope that there is a good acceptable alternate airport within that fuel range otherwise you're now declaring an emergency fuel
1: range not gliding range fuel range
0: fuel range (laughs) yeah um i remember one time actually you you've kind of sparked this memory that I had. Uh, many, many moons ago, uh, I was flying a leg, I think it was Columbus to DFW, oh, back in the Sandpiper days. And, you know, day VFR, we take off, and a fog bank just happened to appear, what they call ground fog or tule fog, uh, that just surrounded the DFW airport. And we came in. And we're flying, at the time, the Embraer 145 jet. And they said, all right, Uh, approach control said, you're cleared for the ILS. We were a Cat 1 only at the time. Uh, So it was 200-foot overcast and a half-mile visibility is required prior to starting the approach. And as soon as they gave us clearance for the approach, they said RVR was 1,500, 800, 400. (laughs) So, what <laughs> 1600s,
1: are, are minimum, right?
0: Or, or what? Or is it 16 or 18? Was it 16? I think Eight, it was 18, probably 18. 1800 then. RVR. Right. Yeah. With, yeah. The,
1: with the flight director
0: or right. pilot or a HUD. So, right. we needed 1800 RVR minimum. And the, there's three numbers there's the touchdown of the runway, the first third, there's the midfield, the second third, and there's the rollout, right. you know, and sometimes even have a far end. Mm-hmm. At the time, the runway we were going to use was below the minimum. So you cannot accept that approach. So we, uh, we talked to the tower and we said, well, we need 1800 RVR minimum for the touchdown because on an approach, at least for the company we were flying for at the time, uh, that was the controlling RVR. The others were just informational purposes at that point for a landing. So we told them, we need at least 1,800 RVR. We can't shoot this approach. And uh, they said, okay, well, fly the localizer, maintain 3,000. they brought us around, did a downwind, came back around. Everybody behind us, same scenario. <laughs> the only ones that were getting in were the Cat 2 or Cat 1 uh, right. or Cat 3 uh, airplanes, the, the large or the, the narrow-body aircraft that had that capability. So here we were with like a parade of, of sandpiper <laughs> Embryers and CRJs <laughs> to win the circuit uh, around the east side of the airport. Well, we had an alternate because the weather was in the TAF. Mm. And although it was not expected to be that low, uh, our alternate was Abilene, which if anyone's familiar with the Fort Worth area, Abilene is to the west of DFW. That's right. So we had enough fuel to, to do at least one more pass before we had to get out of there. So we told them, all right, we need 1800 RVR to land. Let us know if it goes back up above 1800 RVR. We can accept an approach at that time. And the approach controller says, okay, RVR 2000, <laughs> 1500, and 800. And we're like, oh, huh. perfect, we can accept nice. it. So we come to the corner, returning base to final. They said, all right, you're clear of the uh, ILS uh, 17 center, I think it was. Uh, RVR, 1,400. <laughs> no. I'm like, we just told, just told me 2,000. T- t- <laughs> we can't accept this approach. It needs to be 1,800. All right, fly the localizer. And now it's like, okay, my captain who was pilot monitoring was like, uh, we, we need to go to Abilene now. We don't have enough fuel to to mess around. I'm like, I agree. So he, he said, yeah, uh, we need to go to our alternate. We need Abilene. All right. So they, they vectored us to downwind at 5,000 feet. And now we're like going north of the airport. We're still kind of going in the wrong direction. We're like, hey, we need to go to Abilene now. And the controller goes, well, I, I got to get you clear the class Bravo unless I get you above. I'm like, we're requesting 15,000 feet or higher. We need direct Abilene now. <laughs> so they're like, all right, clear it. I think they gave us 14,000 feet. As soon as you clear 10,000, you're cleared direct to Abilene. So we get up to 14,000. Now we're going direct to Abilene. We're calculating the fuel. And actually it was me flying and the captain was pilot monitoring and the captain says, Hey, I'm watching this fuel and it's not looking too good. Um, That last vector really sucked up a lot of gas at low altitude. Uh, I'm like, well, let's do this. Let's go direct. Uh, You just pulled the weather. It's VFR. Uh, Let's just get pilots discretion. We'll stay as high as, long as we possibly can and i'll do a a cdp a continuous descent profile that's when you calculate what you need you bring the engines to flight idle nose it over and just basically you know flight idle all the way down to to traffic good energy management for sure yeah so i do that and at that point i had i don't know four thousand hours on the airplane it's not like i was new on the aircraft and uh and he's like, I don't know, man. You look kind of high. We do not have the fuel to go around here. I mean, we're already in our reserves. And I was like, I got this, man. I got this. And and it was a parade of airplanes. We were number one. It's a parade of airplanes flying to Abilene for the alternate because no one can get in. And uh, you know, we're passing through ten. I'm you know, I'm starting to really focus on. Okay, I don't want to be high. I don't want to get low. I want to manage my fuel. Just get on profile At and do it. Yeah. About five thousand feet. He goes dude you are you are high i'm like i'm not high trust me (laughs) so i like you know gear down you know flaps whatever one or whatever it was then yeah Yeah, 22 or nine 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 degrees yeah uh and it's all right bringing it now he's like oh you got the gear down that's that's really early i'm like i got this man i got this coming in all the way i i don't think i added power until (laughs) the last couple Ah, hundred feet just to just to soften (laughs) the uh the touchdown was a nice touchdown rolled (laughs) off the runway. And the ramp is full of airplanes. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was full of SOBs. It had oh. a couple ATRs there. Uh, oh, and, yeah. And, and so we're, there was no, they have like two gates there. It was, no, it was all ramp parking. All the airplanes were sitting there with their APUs running and just all the people on board. And and we were the first ones to get fuel that day, I remember. Wow. And people were on the radio like, why did they get fuel? Like, oh, they have a time-critical international connections, blah, 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 Some. Bull crap like that <laughs> and so here we are you know we fueled up and within 20 minutes we're back in the air head back to dallas nice. this time with a lot of fuel i think we, <laughs> we could have shot like 10 approaches and still had plenty of fuel. <laughs> and we, that's we got a good in. story you know we got in but this is some of the things we do
1: yeah you we,
0: deal you know, with yeah fuel is everything
1: yeah right sure you remember is. you
0: remember the three total wastes in aviation
1: yeah, is it the fuel truck? The fuel you left in the fuel truck? The runway you left behind you? The uh, was it the airspace above you? And yeah, that's it. There might be another one. Yeah, yeah.
0: Never leave it <laughs> or, never leave runway behind you. Yep. Fuel on the ground, or
1: yep. or altitude in the air. Yeah, exactly. Um, Use most useless thing to a pilot. Yeah. And you know when's the only time you'll ever have too much fuel? When you're on fire.
0: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what, if you're ever on fire, what does ARF, ARF being the acronym for Airport Rescue and Firefighting, they they took it away, Uh, used to be, um, uh, what is it, Uh, CFR? They used to call it
1: CFR. Crash, fire, and rescue, and they said yeah. no.
0: We got to pull crash out of that acronym. Yeah. So now right. it's airport rescue. You're not and allowed to crash anymore. So. No,
1: that's not authorized. <laughs>
0: uh, that's <laughs> so you, funny. The last yeah, part of your story, story, you talked about how you were reaching kind of the end of your duty period, and how yeah. you know being late in the afternoon, and this was yesterday, yeah.
1: That was yesterday.
0: Yeah, and because we were originally going to record yesterday.
1: And That's I right. looked at your schedule,
0: and I was like, I don't know if this is going to work out. Are you sure, out. Rob? <laughs> so I I texted you, and I said, like, if I know you flew a lot today, uh, if you want to do this tomorrow, we can. He's like, yes, I'm exhausted.
1: <laughs> yeah. Originally, I thought I was going to be able to do it, but I got home, and um, and I was uh, just mentally and mentally drained, you know. So it was uh it was nice of you to <laughs> give me the the pass and 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 record today able to push it off till today cuz uh got home and thankfully my wife had dinner made and just pretty much laid on the couch for the rest of the evening and fell asleep three or four times watching a movie lucky <laughs> i was useless i tell myself in those situations never ever touch power tools <laughs> yes yeah i think we've talked about this in the show after a particular right? time of the day
0: oh. after so many do not come home from a trip and touch a power tool
1: No, sir. You will hurt yourself or maybe worst case scenario, kill yourself if you're using a power tool after day like yesterday. Our our job is is, uh, flying is uh, uh, it's it's exhausting in the mental sense. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of wasted brain. I wouldn't say wasted, but there's a lot of used brain energy um that uh, goes into flying you're always you know mentally calculating calculating uh you know like we talked about the fuel your your duty day you know your contingencies if anything happens and just uh it's a constant process you know while you're flying and you know you've been doing it for a long time you you really don't even though you don't think that you're thinking about it you are constantly going through the scenarios in your mind or um just You know, just, that's just how, that's how you operate an airplane. You always got to be ready for the unexpected. So, um, that's, that's, it's exhausting at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's why (laughs) I think
0: the FAA has been so good about making sure that there's no kind of repercussion for a pilot to call in sick. That's right. And, you know, it's, if a pilot ever tells you I went through 2019 and never called in sick one time. Yeah that should raise a red flag. I mean, I'm a relatively healthy guy myself and I rarely ever feel the need to call in sick uh, because I have, you know, my uh, method of preparing for trips and, you know, the day before I do kind of a, uh, am I well enough to work a wellness for work or a fit for duty assessment? Right. And that's when you, Really have to go, okay. Uh, if I feel like I'm not going to be 100%, I need to call in sick now so that they can cover the trip with a reserve right. pilot or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Let's talk about what happens when you call in sick. I came across an article uh, recently because I was doing a little bit of research of like what constitutes sick. And our company manuals tells you what to do if you call in sick. It tells you how to clear a sick, who to call. Um, If you go to a doctor, does that constitute having to get cleared from sick? Uh, If you get hospitalized, go in for a simple outpatient procedure, do you then have to clear that through your company's medical department? Do you have to let your chief pilot know? If you're on an overnight in Mexico, can you get that plastic surgery that you were always wanting to do and then show up with bandages on your nose? Yes, that's a true story. Not to me, (laughs) obviously, (laughs) but uh, you know, I uh, I've heard many a thing about what happens when you know when you you should call in sick. I did come across an article from AvGeekery.com, and I'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, January seventh of twenty seventeen. It was a Pretty funny article entitled, I'm a Pilot. I feel okay, but I still called in sick. And this article is by Rob Graves. And in it, uh, he talks about why pilots have a kind of a propensity to call in sick, even if they're not really what one would think is too sick to work. Um, And he writes, To be fair, I really do have a bit of a cold. It started the day before my trip with some sneezing and a headache. It's really nothing most workers would consider staying home for. A daytime Theraflu has got me feeling almost fine, but I still didn't go to work. Instead, I called scheduling to get myself pulled off the trip and replaced. Now that I've got some extra time to write a blog, am I lazy or is this a good call? And this is exactly the kind of question that we ask ourselves. You know, yeah. though it sounds like he writes uh, that I'm milking the system, trust me when I say that you do not want me anywhere near your airplane for a number of reasons. The first, obviously, is that I'm not 100%. Flying places adds enough physiological stress on the body, on the body as it is. Disrupting circadian rhythms, fatigue, dodgy airport food, that's a big one for me, and dehydration from hours in a dry airplane air. Can all contribute to the degradation of the alertness, which is needed to operate an airliner. Throw in additional stressors such as congestion or a headache, and the effectiveness in the cockpit can drop precipitously. Wow! So he he goes on to write, uh, and you, and I encourage you all to to take a look at the link. Um, almost everything that can affect you from taking over the counter. Uh, drugs to help combat a flu or grogginess that comes from being fatigued or having a hard day or, or stresses in your life can all degrade your effectiveness in the cockpit so just because you're not sick in bed with a flu or a cold or or corona uh, doesn't mean that you should show up to flight you know suck it up as a pilot you should be cognizant of your ability to perform at 100%. The FAA recommends a weight of five times the recommended dosage interval whenever taking an over-counter cold or flu medication. So if it says, you know, 24 hours between doses, the FAA recommends five times that amount. So you need to be off four or five days so that it's out of your system. If you're taking something that has like a TheraFlu with a sleep aid or something. Yep. You know, so it's not like, oh, well, I'm sick today, but by tomorrow I should be fine to fly. So that means if uh, the suggested certain dose is every six hours, a pilot should wait five times that amount. So 30 hours, more realistically. Yeah. Um, so it's always a good idea to make that assessment. And this doesn't just go for airlines. Whether you're flying a Cessna 172 around the pattern for another flight lesson or You're behind the controls of a 787 as First Officer B, where you're just doing breaks at cruise on the way over to Hong Kong. I mean, it it doesn't matter what your level is. If you're behind the controls of an aircraft, you really need to have a clear mind because we are firing those electrons pretty quick when we're trying to juggle all the things we have to do. And then, by the way, Here's your holding instructions. Now
1: calculate your fuel. (laughs) Fuel. And And you you took a Benadryl (laughs) yesterday. (laughs) With the fuel. (laughs) Can't miss the decimal point one way or another because it can make a big difference in whether you end up landing with thrust or landing without thrust.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, This article in avgeekery.com ends with uh, a pretty good paragraph here. It says, flying airplanes demands complete attention. From alert and healthy pilots, with all the negative physiological stresses on members of this profession, having someone keep an eye on the pilot's health while he or she keeps an eye on your airplane maintains the high integrity and safety of today's aviation system. And there are so many resources that Rob, you and I have to our That's disposal. Right. You know, we we can yeah. call our union a medical advice line. We can call right. our medical advice line for our healthcare provider, um, a lot of times yeah. I've been posed the question from people either in general aviation or people that are interested in doing a little bit of research on pilots. Um, hey, I've got this medication. You know, Is this safe to, to use? Can I take this? I, you know, I've right. got this head cold and I, I want to get back to work quick. Can I take this? Even if I know the answer, my response is always, well, you have an FA medical, you have a doctor, yeah. you have his phone number or her phone number." Give them a call. Right. Say, hey, yeah. uh, before I take this medication, I want to make sure that I'll be safe to fly. Because some medications, even though they're over-the-counter, are actually grounding items and could potentially have you lose your medical, even your license, if you get a yeah. random drug test.
1: And I know the, the FAA actually has a uh, a website that you can go to when it comes to prescription medications, mm-hmm. prescription medications. And you can go to this particular website and see if it's approved or um, not allowed uh, per the FAA. There's actually some of them that are approved but with limitations. And um, uh, it's a great thing to reference if you take medications or if you're about to be prescribed a medication. Because not, not every doctor un- understands or knows about what, the, uh, what, is, what is allowed or what's not allowed prohibited prohibited, um, uh, from, uh, the aviation, uh, you know, from the FAA medical point of view. Uh, for instance, uh, I actually had, had a, um, an eye exam a couple years ago and, uh, this eye exam, uh, revealed that I had a little bit of an eye infection and it wasn't pink eye or anything like that, but it was, uh, it was, it came from the, I don't know use of some contact lenses that have kind of irritated my eyes, mm-hmm. so the optometrist uh issued me a eye drop that had a steroid in it uh-huh. and yeah I didn't think anything of it you know I was like, okay, cool, you know this will clear up the uh the problem I have and um it was just basically my 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 uh symptoms were just my eyes were really itchy and um they would know get a lot of uh, mucus or whatever so you know I've always had to have a tissue with me to dry my eyeballs out uh, <laughs> and uh, wear your glasses and not wear the contacts the whole time but anyway long story short uh, they issued me a, uh, a an eye drop steroid and uh, took the eye drop a few times and I was like yeah this is great you know this is helping out and I was supposed to take it for like two weeks or something like that and just keep wearing glasses and after uh, and this was uh, by the way all on my days off. <laughs> and, uh, I, I had a few days off, uh, coincidentally at this time. And just out of curiosity, I went to the website, uh, the FAA medical website and looked up this, uh, the, the, the drug or the eye drops that I was using and to see if they were allowed. And it turns out that they were prohibited. So I was like, Whoa, you know, thank God, I didn't go to work, you know, the chances of somebody actually finding out is another thing, you know, if I was using it, but you know, being a being a, you know, law-abiding citizen and you know, uh, uh, I want to keep my medical and I want to keep my job. Um I wanted to make sure that I am operating within the uh, you know, the, the laws and bylaws and the regulations of the federal aviation regulation. So I had to go back to my optometrist and said, "Hey, you know, this particular eye drop is uh I can't use it due to my job. Uh do you have anything that has this cuz they actually give you um in the FAA medical database um some alternatives that you can use. So I presented that to the optometrist and they're like, "Oh yeah, sure here we could issue this." So um that's how that ended. that was my experience with that. Um but it got me thinking cuz uh um I also had allergies before you know, Allegra D and, and Zyrtec or some of those are not, are not allowed. Right. Um, so, you know, make sure, uh, you, you check the database because, uh, you know, some of these drugs may or may not prescription drugs, even over the counter stuff may or may not be allowed. And if they are allowed, there may be some limitations to it. Um, uh, for example, some of them, you may be able to take, as long as you may not take it within, you know, 12 or 24 hours prior to operating the aircraft. Right. So, you know, those are, for an example, that's some of the limitations that I've seen. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's good stuff right there.
0: Yeah. And you, were, you mentioned the FAA website. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, I did find it here. It's okay, a good. guide for aviation medical examiners, and it shows uh, pharmaceuticals or therapeutic medications that uh, that would constitute a do not issue or do not fly order.
1: Perfect. So, uh, yep.
0: you know, if you're curious and you're like, ah, well, my doctor prescribed me this medication, you ask your doctor, well, is this approved for the FAA? They're not going to know unless they are right. happen to be in an AME as well,
1: an yeah, aviation exactly. medical
0: examiner. So if they're not, you know, it's a quick phone call or, you know, if you have a smartphone, you just pull up your fa.gov website and yep. in there, I mean, it, it has a long list here of the three classes of medication that. Would be a grounding item, um, yep. so yeah. If you're curious, uh, you know, as simple as hey, I'm got allergies, uh, seasonal allergies, and I want to take this uh, Benadryl that has antihistamine. Well, you can't take that because it has antihistamine. Right. So you the have to take a different. They have Benadryl you can take or Sudafed you can take, right? But you have to make sure you get the right one over the counter. Exactly. So yep. uh, yeah, definitely uh, ask uh, your local Ame. For guidance on this, uh, you can also consult the web and find out what they
1: have to say. Very good. Oh, and another thing, the uh, I'm Safe checklist is a great uh, checklist that uh, you, any aviator could, should could and should use um, to determine whether they are safe to fly. And it's an acronym: uh, I M S A F E. I'm safe. Uh, the ICE is uh, an acronym for illness. You know, do you have any symptoms of an illness? Uh, obviously, COVID is one of the most prominent ones these days. Um, the M is for medication. Have I been taking prescription or over the counter drugs? And it leads you uh, right down the path that we just talked about. You should go get that checked with uh, an examiner or reference the website. Uh, stress. Stress is a, uh, is a big one, um, it's a natural human factor. Uh, we all, all, uh, we all uh, experience uh, a certain amount of stress, and we do need to make sure we assess our stress level and determine whether it's acceptable for, um, uh, for you know, for operating an aircraft. And keep in mind that stress at the time that you um, that you assess yourself may not be at a point that. Um, you know, is it affecting you now, but it, it could be in a, in, you know, in certain situations, it may spike uh, due to certain external, uh, um, you know, events. So mm-hmm. stress is a big one. Uh, of course, a alcohol, <laughs> you're, you're not allowed to drink within eight hours of flying an airplane. Um, and, uh, it says here within 24 hours, but I, I think our company rules 12 hours. From yeah. The throttle. And- well,
0: we that bottle of throttle, I remember that was big when I was learning how to fly, and right. FA was eight hours, and they called it bottle of throttle. That's an old, I think, right. Navy term. Way something. to
1: remember but, it, yeah.
0: Um, actually, they've changed our company manuals about uh, six, seven years ago, mm-hmm. and now- the verbiage, you have to be really careful because it's a, it used to be a 12-hour rule. I'm not sure what it is at Legacy Airlines, but I'm sticking with the 12-hour rule. Right. And it used to be 12 hours from you know, drinking to signing in for duty. Right. right? But they changed the verbiage. Now it's 12 hours free from all um, signs of any kind of alcohol in your system. So basically, wow. you have to be sober yeah. for 12 hours prior 12 to hours. showing up to your sign-in time, sense. your van ride, whatever it is. And, you know, this was a huge topic that, that we've kind of both of us as Czech Airmen have really yeah. been pushed upon. And we used to have to talk about this during IOE, especially with new hires, um, because yeah. that's not, and especially in today's day and age, that's not something you really want to have to deal with that work, because now, um, I know I used to have a little, you know, forgive the term, but come to Jesus moment with my new hires that I'd say, you know, outside of the cockpit, I'd say, okay, now here's the part where I give you my little speech, whether or not you want to you know, agree with right. it or comply with it is up to you. But you know, how many myself. years and how many dollars did it take for you to earn all your pilot's licenses and ratings right. and all those check rides you had to go through and all that stress you put yourself through to get here, to get your dream job? And yeah. are you willing to risk it all to go and have a, what they call a big ass beer and like say downtown right. on Beale street, you know, <laughs> yeah, Go listen yeah. to jazz music all night and drink all night and stumbling yeah. in a hotel. And, and now yeah. you're worried, Oh, uh, did I give myself enough time to sober up? Am I feeling yeah.
1: well? Is it, is and, are the effects of alcohol going to linger? Yeah. And, ex- and, you know, I used to take it a step further than that too. Um, you know, uh, there are times where you get to a hotel on an overnight and you're, uh, you're, you you agreed, hey, hey, you know, we got a long overnight, um, you know, let's meet downstairs for, let's get a drink and some wings and you show up at the hotel and it's late and it's almost last call. And, you know, you have that urge instead of going up to your room to go right to the bar and order, you know, whatever. And I tell them, I said, never, ever, ever get caught in a place that serves alcohol, like a bar in your uniform and more importantly, in a uniform with your company ID. <laughs> do not do that. That's just a one thing you just don't do. That's, that's a career ender right there. There's cameras. There's no.
0: Everyone just, has a recording studio in their pocket. Exactly. Everyone. I mean, six-year-olds have a recording studio in their pocket. It's called a smartphone.
1: Oh, and man.
0: to walk, and I used to tell people the same thing. You know, the minute you put your uniform on inside your hotel room or in your home and you walk out that front door, you have to assume that all your neighbors, all the other people at the hotel, they're all filming you. Now, I've I've been told, wow, you're, you know, you're a little paranoid, aren't you? I'm like, no, I'm not paranoid because how many times do you see YouTube videos of, you know, not just pilots, but people... You know, being caught doing something they shouldn't have, and everybody wants to be famous for bringing to the world "aha, look yeah. what this guy did" or "this gal did." Exactly. Oh, I got a pilot. Yeah. Uh, he was stumbling out of the van. Look, I got it all on video, and it ends yeah. up on CNN. Pays you a couple hundred thousand dollars for that video, so that they can yeah. now have breaking yeah. news. You know, it. Yeah. Don't be the butt of somebody else's fame. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. And especially with the, uh, you know, the prominence of so much false news going, being spread around the, you know, the world, you know, they could take a video clip of you just having a, you know, a not exactly a good moment getting out of the van or whatever, and then add whatever narrative they want to do to it, and then publish that. And now it's not true, but now it becomes world news and you're cut caught right in the middle of it the chances of that happening obviously are very rare but like you said it it you know that's the last thing you need you know uh so yeah so moving on so uh, that was the a and the i'm safe acronym alcohol Mm -hmm. just don't do it (laughs) f uh fatigue uh that's that's a huge factor in our industry um am i too tired and not adequately rested and uh you know I am guilty of it, of this, you know, uh, you said you were working out in your uh, backyard yesterday or something like that, cutting concrete or Uh stuff like that. Yeah. You you know, you, you got to live your life and there's certain times where you, uh, you know, you take it, you need to take advantage of the day, the time you have in your day. And you may get out there and do some heavy manual labor or stay up late at night for whatever reason, or you have a sick kid or like in my case, I had a sick family member You know, so you're kind of trying to take care of them and that may, uh, you know, push you up against your, the amount of rest that you need to have to safely operate the airplane the next day. And if you just feel you can't do it, or you wake up the next morning and you just didn't get a good night's sleep in the hotel or at home, it's a good time to call in and say, Hey, um, we call it, still call it sick, but you're fatigued. You're uh, too tired to work. Yeah. Um, and then the last one for E is eating. Uh, just making sure that you're you're adequate adequately uh, um, feeding nu- nutrients and and hydrating your body with any of the proper uh, proper stuff. Uh, you can't go to work on an empty stomach because uh, <laughs> uh, you get into high stress situations and you know now you, your brain needs food to operate on yeah. or calories. And if you don't have any calories to supply it with, uh, you can find yourself making some pretty poor decisions. And uh, and then po- further on down the road you may not eat right eat properly you know that's the other thing is eat properly um because that could um you know that could also um show some uh health issues down the road if you're not eating properly with uh weight and diabetes and you know all the other ailments that come along with that so anyway that's just a little thing that i think everybody should uh, use and even use that if you're going to operate any heavy equipment too, you know? I mean, it goes for, for everything, so. Yep, yep. Eating right, uh, staying
0: hydrated, uh, yep. eating healthy, uh, getting your exercise, all of it helps contribute to your mental acuity and your mental alertness. And when we talk about fatigue, most people think physically fatigued. Uh, I only got five hours of sleep, so I must be fatigued. Uh, No, you could have gotten 12 hours of sleep, but if you're stressed out, you got a lot of stuff going on. The mental fatigue is a very serious thing. And I think actually mental fatigue is a lot more Dangerous than yep. physical fatigue because with physical fatigue, yep. you can kind of okay, you can kind of go through it, you know, muster through it until you get your yeah. rest. And when you get your rest, it's all like, okay, I'm, I'm rejuvenated. But with mental fatigue, it'll linger, it'll linger for yeah. days, months, even years. So,
1: yeah. Yep. Uh, and to finish up the topic, I mean, um, I, that's exactly when it ended up happened to me last week, uh, last week, maybe two weeks ago. Um, I had a three day trip that I was supposed to fly and, um, I was, I was exhausted. (laughs) I was exhausted. And I hadn't called in sick or, you know, tired, um, in a while. I mean, I think the last time I called in sick was probably maybe July or August of last year. Um, and so this was the first time in a while, but, um, yeah, it was just kind of one of those, those weeks where I had, I had gone, uh, home to my, home state of Rhode Island and we we were at a wedding and enjoyed herself, had a great time and uh, got home. And I think I did a podcast with you um, that very day that we landed. And, um, and after that I was supposed to go to work and I was like, Oh man, I am so exhausted from all the events that just happened. You know, I needed, I needed a, a, a you know, a, a me day to recover and so I felt it was prudent to uh, call the company and let them know that I'm, you know, not going to make the next trip. And you had uh, podcast fatigue. Yeah. I had, had <laughs> podcast fatigue and that had, that's a real factor too. That's the thing. <laughs> that's Tony. It ain't easy, buddy. It ain't easy. <laughs> yeah, It's harder for Tony than it is for me, but
0: <laughs> yeah. oh, um, man. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, we're yeah. going to have more on uh, Latin terrain overflying Cuba the international quals and the 737 max right after the break. back to the second half of the Squawk Eye podcast. Today we're sitting down with my co-host Rob D and we're talking about everything from fatigue to calling in sick and now we would like to start on a segment that we talked about a little bit on the previous show that we didn't really get a chance to get into and that's overflying an international destination like Cuba to get to the Caribbean islands. Uh, I had a trip A couple weeks back, that was a pretty good three-day trip. Uh, One of them was Charlotte to Montego Bay and then back to Charlotte. And we were overflying Cuba. So I had not ever flown into Montego Bay. So prior to the trip, I was doing a little bit of research, studying my EFB, my electronic flight bag, uh, looking at our uh, Jeppesen charts for the area to see if there was any kind of special procedure that I had to become familiar with. Now, we're overflying water, but we are not doing an ETOPS flight because there is land within an hour of, of our flight path, so it's, it's not an ETOPS-required flight. However, you are crossing in multiple international boundaries, or FERS, FIRs, fi and Rob, you mentioned what was a, a fur
1: flight information region.
0: So what is that? So when you cross out of US airspace, and now you fly through an international airspace, there's a, a boundary, an imaginary line. And on our charts it's depicted. Uh, what we had to do was cross into first into the MUFH fur, which is the Havana. Now Havana Center controls the airspace over Cuba. Now as long as you're on a IFR flight plan with prior permission and obviously a squawk code with MODES and all the the requirements that are now in place to overfly the Havana Center airspace, you're good to go. They know what time you're going to enter, you're under radar control, you're being handed off by Miami Center, and prior to entering the airspace, Miami, Miami center will give you just like a regular frequency change. They'll give you a, a frequency change contact Havana center on a particular frequency and you sign in just like you would, you know, legacy flight one, two, three over whatever fix it is at whatever altitude. And they'll get back to you. Oh, radar contact. And sometimes there's, Language barriers, heavy accents that you have to overcome. So, all of our manuals and our company procedures indicate that this could be an issue in terms of communications, and you should speak clearly and directly without any added language, which is always a good idea anyway, but especially important when you're crossing into an international boundary. So, that's what we did. We contacted Havana Center. They basically gave us IFR tracking and uh, traffic advisories and overflew Cuba, which was kind of cool, mm-hmm. you know, um, looking down, I couldn't make up much, but I could see that it's a pretty lush mountainous kind of area. Yeah. And uh, once we cleared their airspace, they gave us another handoff to another fur boundary, which is uh, Port-au-Prince, uh, the boundary. They gave us tracking all the way down until we landed over there at Montego Bay. Now, for those of you that go, oh, Montego Bay, what's the airport diagram for that? It is, you could find it on uh, the Jeppesen charts or in the government charts under MKJS or Sangster International, which is a kind of cool name for an airport.
1: Sangster. It's almost like gangster. Gangster. (laughs)
0: So they have one runway there, or I should say two runways, the reciprocal, Um, and that is runway 25 and runway 7. So we did a visual approach in the day, and we had a a chartered arrival that we followed onto an ILS for runway 7, mountainous terrain rising to the south of us, and it was pretty cool. Very, very green. Like I mentioned, very humid. And the Runway 7 had uh, MSA, which for those not uh, familiar with instrument flight rules, we always brief the MSA, the minimum sector or safe altitude. altitude. And we want to talk about that because in the event that we lose navigation in instrument conditions, we're having a really bad day. Okay, what are you gonna do? Well, first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna use your best ability to remain clear of terrain. And we need to know what the minimum altitude that we need to be at, depending on what sector we are in, in reference to either the airport, the co located VOR, or other point as defined by the MSA. And in that area, the MSA to the north and the east. It's about twenty six hundred feet, not bad. But when you look at the MSA to the south, it's forty six hundred feet, and the airport's at sea level. So Hmm. it's and it rises very quickly. So yeah, when you look at it, you do not want to go south of the localizer on this approach. I mean, they even have a potential arc that you can fly to get onto the localizer. Uh, We did it visually. And it was a beautiful day. It was some rain showers, as I mentioned, off to the south over the mountains. Uh, And by the time we landed, landed, it was dry. By the time we got to the gate, it started raining pretty good. It lasted about 10 minutes, and then I got to do my walk around. Wow. (laughs) So there's nothing really super special about overflying these international quadrants. The main thing is that you understand the terms. You understand the language barriers that are there. And more importantly, if you're flying these routes for a company, you want to ensure that you've read all the company pages because sometimes there's, there are mandatory reports that you have to give, or sometimes there's a fix that they sometimes forget to hand you off. And you need right. to call that fix. Like I know going down in Mexico City, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, there are particular fixes that when you get to them, they want you to contact them five minutes prior to that fix. And if their traffic controller that's handling you at this particular time is busy or forgets, they may not hand you off five minutes prior. So now you're kind of juggling two radio frequencies and you'll have to say to the pilot flying, Hey, I'm off frequency. I'm going to contact, you know, uh, Mexico city center or what have you, uh, we're five prior to this fix it's a mandatory call and then you they'll say okay call us when you're over the fix so they call back and then if you didn't get handed off you have to tell air traffic yeah. control hey uh we're over abc defg fix ready yep. for our handoff and they'll go oh yeah sorry oh yeah clear cleared a contact <laughs> yeah so there's a lot going on when you're flying in international destinations That's right now and you've had quite a bit of experience with this too rob what uh,
1: what was your latest experience in New mexico city Yeah, Mexico City, um, nothing really honestly out of the ordinary for this particular trip. Um, However, we did get an odd clearance um, on the arrival, um, and it was due to traffic and spacing. Um, And you did mention, uh, which was very important, that we use clear, concise communications. Uh, The company wants to make sure we stick to the ICAO standards of uh, communication, ICAO uh, meaning, it's another acronym, you know, <laughs> aviation's full of acronyms, right? ICAO is, uh, was an International Civil Aviation Organization. So it's uh, basically uh, a bunch of uh, countries come together and they agree to use these standards uh, amongst the countries so that uh, an English language is, is one of them. Yeah, that's one of the standards. Uh, but also phrases—the phrases that we use, uh, cleared for takeoff, or, or line up and wait. You know, these are all phrases that are standard across the industry, not only in our country but also in other countries. So, anyway, um, one thing that I've never actually had before was this particular clearance arriving into Mexico City the other day, yesterday, and the particular clearance was turn left. We were on the on the uh, Mexico uh, airports arrival. And we're descending and we're complying with air, air altitude and airspeed restrictions on the arrival. And at one particular fix, the controller clears us. They say, uh, uh, legacy 123, upon reaching this fix, turn left heading 150, fly heading 150 for three minutes. And after three minutes, turn direct to this fix. And I looked at the captain, and I was like, did I hear what I just hear? I mean, did you hear what I just heard? You know, fix, heading, three minutes, turn back. He's like, yeah, that's what I heard too. I was like, okay, let me read it back. So uh, I made sure uh, I, I I got it right the first time. And obviously, you could always query and, and ask them to clarify the, the clearance. But uh, we did exactly that. Yeah, we hit the fix, turned left to heading one, I think it was one five zero flew that heading for three minutes and at three minutes we turned back and headed towards the uh the, the fix the 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 following fix. Yeah. And I felt that it was prudent <laughs> at the uh when we started to turn back to uh the, the the after we flew for three minutes back to the other fix, I figured it'd be a recommended call to say, hey, you know, uh legacy one two three is turning direct to this fix yeah. and we're 15 miles east of the fix. whatever and they're like okay roger and then they actually cleared us for the approach from that point I said after after crossing this fix
0: what's that was it saint lucia or something like
1: that uh that was one of the um one of the fixes on the arrival but it was actually one or two fixes prior to that Mm -hmm. so they basically sent us over the those high mountains the high terrains due east of uh kind of north just north of puebla yeah, Remember we used to fly into Puebla,
0: Puebla Canetaro, so, all those good.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but they, they, they gave us a further clearance and actually cleared us for the approach, which was a, um, a DME arc into an ILS, uh, to, to, uh, Mexico city. So it was, it was a kind of a first time for me for that particular kind of clearance. Um, so, um, it was very, very, um, you know, I wasn't ready for it. So, so that's one of the things when you fly flying aviation, there's a, there's kind of a cadence uh, to some of the clearances and you kind of know exactly what's going to come next. Or even if you don't know exactly what's going to come next, they usually come in a certain time or a certain order. And, um, apologize. My dog's tail is wagging up against (laughs) the, the table there. But anyway, they they uh you know they, they come and you're usually you they come in a certain order that you can repeat them back very easily. Um so when this clearance came, which was a non-standard um kind of clearance, you know, with a heading and a time and a turn to another. We rarely get that stuff in the United States, if 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 in fact ever, um, especially with the invention of all these RNAV uh, arrivals and departures. So that really threw us for a loop. W- weren't quite ready for that, and um, so I was made made sure that you know we were ready to do it. And and with with the uh, the standard of English being spoken, and you know the Mexican controller issuing the clearance, um, it was very important that you know they used the proper phraseology, mm-hmm. and I understood it and I flew it according to uh, their request so yeah it, it worked out okay but that's pretty much my um experience and unfortunately I'm not a, a internationally uh so to speak um trained pilot for for our company so you know I don't I don't, I'm not in the international division so I haven't gone to any of those schools or anything like that so I I'd, yeah. I'd like to but um I think that's something that's kind of in the works for us for the seven, three, seven stuff. Uh, I, I know in Miami and I think New York, they're already a combined division, but um, I, I look forward to learning a lot more about that stuff. Cause you and a lot of other, even the captains I've flown with, you know, they've, they've flown internationally before. And actually some of them are international pilots too. Yeah. Um, so uh, they talk about some of that stuff and you know, I, th- I find it intriguing, but well, I'll wait a minute. How can you be
0: a a, a domestically uh, rated <laughs> pilot and not uh, fly international, but yet here you are going into Mexico City? Let's talk Mexico. a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a so good question. Yeah. Canada and Mexico, since it's all part of North America, has been right. deemed to be within the same continent and therefore is not a requirement to be an internationally qualified pilot in order to fly into these cities. Exactly. Uh, now, it's it's potential that they can be, for some carriers, what they call Sarah airports. That's right. Uh, which means in you Mexico have City to have a Czech airman with you in some qualifications. Uh, sometimes you just have to watch a short video that's online that gives you terrain and. and pictorials and what to look at. Sometimes you just have to yep. look at the pictorial pages and make a computer entry. And then that automatically qualifies you for 12 months. As long as you've had a landing there within the last 12 months, you continue yep. your qualification. So it just depends on what's a required level, and what's yeah. not. And every company is going to have their own requirements. Now you mentioned something that is key and you didn't yeah. say the words, but you mentioned exactly what it is. You received a clearance that you didn't expect That creates what's called expectation bias. Bias. This is something that we study about uh, at the airline level, and I had not ever heard this, uh, at least in my training. I don't think anyone's ever talked to me about this. I don't remember it. But there is an expectation bias. When you fly a particular flight or you fly in an airplane or anything, and you do the same thing day in, day out, hundreds if not thousands of times, and all of a sudden... Somebody throws you a curveball. Yep, and you could even read it back. Oh, turn left for three minutes and then fly directly to a fix. And you were like, "What?" <laughs> right? The, the, yeah. Your ears go up and you're like, yeah. "I did not expect what to did hear I just, that." I I heard it, but I wasn't listening. <laughs> right, and, and you might even, if you're kind of tired and you're not really paying attention, you just read it back. Oh, yeah, left uh, three minutes, fix yeah. it, and then. The other pilot, if they're paying attention, like, wait, what? So (laughs) expectation bias is the belief that you know in advance what you will see or hear, which affects what you actually think you see and hear. Expectation bias in ATC means that there is a strong belief or mindset that a particular outcome will happen, or there's a particular cause for a situation, even when there is evidence to the contrary. Expectation bias is reinforced by previous experiences of situations which have features in common with the current situation. And this is right out of the IKO definition of their aviation glossary of
1: expectation bias.
0: So that can bite you.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? You just jarred my memory about um, something that went through my thought process uh, after receiving that clearance. Um the uh I, I may have you may have picked up on it on my earlier comment about flying into Mexico was really smoggy and uh overcast. You know, it's just the visibility was very poor. I think where they were down to oh, I think they said three to five miles or yeah, something like that. Typical Mexico which City, is a yeah. Typical Mexico day. I mean it's just the way the uh smoggy. where the city sits and the smog and the industrial stuff there. Um, uh, but even due east of the airport with the mountains they had some buildups and stuff like that but what triggered um uh jarred my memory what i was going to talk about was uh, as soon as we started on that vector uh, i immediately started to think about terrain because you're no longer on the arrival which Provides terrain clearances as long as you're uh, uh, adhering to the uh, profile of the of the arrival. So as soon as we got turned off the arrival, I immediately went into our charts and said, okay, you know the MSA, the sector altitude, the grid mora in this area is. You know, fourteen five. So let's make sure we don't go any lower than let's call it, let's call it sixteen thousand. That way we have a, a, a little buffer, you know. And you can see it on our, uh, on our terrain display. You know, the red peaks of the mountains starting to become prominent on our screen, and you know that's uh, that's some kind of something that you kind of have to rely on your training to remember that. Uh, you know, if if you're ever given that situation that. Uh, Mexico doesn't necessarily always provide terrain clearance, so they will gladly descend (laughs) you or not. I wouldn't say gladly. That's probably the wrong way to put it, but they will issue you a descent clearance well below the, um, altitude of terrain Yes. of let's say mountains and stuff like that. So, uh, you are responsible as an aviator for knowing exactly where you are at all times, and knowing the terrain in the area at all times and no and and de- declining any clearance that will uh put you into uh harm's way or possible contact with terrain. So anyway, that was you know, that was very, very prominent in my mind because you, you couldn't see the ground. Um, you couldn't see the terrain. I mean, they had the the uh you know, what's the the Air Met Sierra? mountain obscurations oh yeah right so that was uh that was definitely the uh, weather phenomena that was happening at that in that area so um anyway yeah I just that when wanted you looked to make to the sure captain and said what's a goat doing up here captain <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, i was gonna say why are they uh pulling why is that goat pulling the trailer up here <laughs> no honestly the uh
0: the moras and the MSA, you mentioned the minimum safe or sector altitude, um,
1: sector altitude. and yep. the
0: Mora's. While you off. were talking about it, I was looking at it and yeah. I looked it up. The Mexico City Airport has an elevation of 7,316 feet MSA, which is up there. And, and we have to have specially certified aircraft that are able to land and take off and elevations like that. Not every single aircraft in the fleet can land at an airport at 7316. Um, right. and then you were talking about, okay, well, the minute they gave you that vector, fly this heading for three minutes, now you're no longer on an established portion of your arrival. So the Correct. your first reaction, which was, you know, I absolutely applaud you because a lot of I know a lot of pilots that are like, okay, sure, okay. Ah. It must be safe. Yeah. They gave it to us. Okay. Um, but the truth is you gotta look at that. And with a click of a button or a touch of the screen, you can actually pull up your moras. In Mexico City, the grid mora just to the northeast of the airport, 195. Yep. To the west eighteen <laughs> one. 18-1. Yep. And to the southwest, it's again 195. Yep. So yeah. There's some hills yeah. up there. There might
1: be some goats yeah. in them there, bushes and trees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, first of all, most people don't realize Mexico City's airport elevation is uh you may have it there, but it's like 7500 yeah, 7316. 7316. Yeah. So, you know, our cabin was already pressurized <laughs> to the elevation <laughs> of the airport yeah. from the top of the descent. <laughs> yeah so we're beginning our approach procedures our initial and everything at well above twelve thousand feet which is super high you know performance i mean our our performance uh like any airplane is degraded you know with altitude so uh you know that that those are things you have to uh keep in mind and some you know experience definitely uh comes into play mm-hmm. uh you know, when flying into these kind of airports, because uh, one thing that you will notice that's very, very obvious and and, and and evident on on an approach to these airports and with a, you know, with an airliner is your descent descent rates are a lot higher on the final approach. You're close to a thousand feet per minute when normally you're what about seven to eight hundred feet per minute. Right. And your ground speed, your true air speed is a lot faster, a lot higher because the air is thinner. You know, you, you need to move across the ground a lot faster. So, you know, our approach speed, I think f- we were pretty close to our maximum landing weight um, of uh, 146,000 pounds. I think our final approach speed was about 160 on the wow. on the 7.3. Uh, and uh, we were very, we, we you know, our true air speed, we were close to 170, 180. On our on our uh, you know knots across the ground, <laughs> crossing the threshold. So we were pretty hot. We were going really fast, twenty to thirty knots faster than what you normally do. So you chew up a lot of air, a lot of runway, um, uh, landing and decelerating up there. And then plus, like we said, performance is a big thing. Thrust reversers. They work, but they don't do very much They're not at as that effective. altitude. Yeah, not as effective. So yeah. you're and, getting on the brakes right away and slowing your plane down.
0: Yeah, and they have two, you know, uh, parallel runways there in Mexico City. I believe they you do. mentioned that you were doing, I think, two three left.
1: Oh, uh, we have five right. We did. We oh, did five
0: right. All right. Okay, so two yeah. three left was the longer one that they have. Twelve thousand five hundred and forty nine feet. Yeah, and five right because of a displaced threshold eleven thousand yep. five hundred and eighty-one feet. So yeah, the runways are longer than usual simply because yeah. they're at a high elevation. And, yeah,
1: yeah. If, you know, if you said you know the use the displaced threshold was what went 12, uh, 11, 000, uh,
0: something whatever yeah, in that
1: direction. Yeah, yeah. So whatever it was, it to us it really felt like a seven or a six thousand foot long runway because yeah. we were touching down and decelerating and you know we had to get on the brakes really good just to decelerate and make the uh, the last turn off yeah. so yeah and it was have fun you been stuff. using
0: the uh, amm uh, uh view of the uh, Jeppesen, uh airport diagram that's the Say uh, that one more time. Have you been using the amm Yes. View? Yeah. yeah. That one's really app. cool because you know if when you look at the chart for 5 right in Mexico City uh, mm-hmm. on the ten nine, which is the chart that we would normally look at. If you look at the, yep. the front page and you don't flip it over to look at the back page, which you should, but yep. uh, it says, hey, the runway is 13,074 feet long. And you're like, hey, well, the runway is 13,000 feet. I'm happy. But there's a display threshold. Distance, uh, yeah. Traditionally, you would have to flip the page over or you know scroll to the next page to find out what the LDA is, the landing right. distance available. But on but this now the AMM, AM, you just tap on the Runway identifier, the zero 05 yeah. right, and it tells you right there LDA 11,581 feet. That, that sure is a
1: nice feature. Yeah, so that's 1500 that, feet. Uh, yeah, I'm starting you. to find more and more features on that uh AMM that I like, uh, versus the 10 yeah. 9 chart. The only uh,
0: downside is they don't have a legend with frequencies, otherwise, I could just keep that up.
1: Yeah, so the one thing that I learned that you can do though is you can go to the com button on the AMM. And when you select the COM button, all the frequencies populate. Um, but if you know which COM frequencies that you're going to use, you can touch on it and it'll turn green. Oh. So you can kind of highlight the frequencies that that you're going to possibly be using so that you know, if you know you're going to be on North ground, you can highlight the North ground. So when you land, just touch the comm, Eric pops up and then the ground right? is right there. So you know which frequency to have. usually you have those queued up anyways and ready to go. But as you're taxing around or whatever, you know, the AMM map, uh, it's not as easy to go slide the thing over. Okay. This is the ground frequency. <laughs> Let's just tune that in and be ready to go,
0: man. You done learned me something today, my friend. There
1: you go, man. Uh, just, it's all trial and error. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, nah, okay. You'll get it next time, Tony. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, now I wanted to dive into something very close to your heart. Something what special. That? Something that just makes you smile every time you think of it. And that is, is the that? latest and the greatest about the 737 Max.: Oh, fantastic.
1: Let's talk about it.
0: <laughs> so American Airlines uh, recently has sent out a uh, information to their pilots, uh, as there's, according to an article here in Flight Global, uh, dated on the 22nd of September, uh, by John Hemmerdinger. Uh, It says here that American Airlines pilots will begin 737 MAX special training in November in preparation for the jet's return to service with the company's entire complement of 737 pilots expected to complete the reviews by January of 2021. Their union... The Allied Pilots Association, which represents Americans' cockpit crews, disclosed the time frame in a message to members on the 21st of September. A development coming as Boeing works to get the jet back to the skies. Now, the 737, as most of our viewers and most of the people in America, were bombarded with this information prior to the pandemic Uh, This was big. It really affected Boeing. Major losses financially. The pandemic just added fuel to the fire. And there was a question for a period of time that maybe Boeing might not recover. So this is very, very good news for the company. Yeah, Boeing has also said that it expects the Federal Aviation Administration, they will certify the MAX, which they haven't done yet which has been grounded since March of 2019 in the fourth quarter of this year. So sometime before the end of the year, they're anticipating that the FAA will certify the MAX for return to service. Prior to flying the jet, Americans pilots must complete a distance learning training module, which will take place for about an hour and 40 minutes uh, to run to completion time. They must also complete about a three-hour Flight simulator session, which includes an hour of briefing and a two-hour of sim time, flying the what we call the box. Uh, okay. So this is pretty big. American currently has one thousand seven hundred pilots that will complete the training as early as November. So the yeah. the ball is rolling on this. Yep. You know, we could see the seven thirty seven Max back in the air by early of twenty twenty one. And what are your yep. thoughts, Rob, uh, as a 737 pilot for legacy airlines, mm-hmm. uh, do you think this is going to be, uh, a good step for them to get that aircraft back in the air?
1: Well, no doubt, no doubt. I think, um, it's, you know, obviously long awaited, long anticipated, highly scrutinized, um, max is, uh, I believe it's been ready. It's ready to return to service. Um, you know, I, I feel that this airplane uh, is going to be the safest airplane in the skies after everything it's been through with the regulators, the FAA, um, Boeing, um, all the people scrutinizing the, uh, the company, the management, the software, the engineers, everything. Um, this is going to be probably one of the safest airplanes, if not the safest airplanes <laughs> flying around right now. Let's face it. Uh, Uh, the Boeing 737 is a trustworthy, you know, the basic airplane is a very, very trustworthy airframe. Uh, many, many companies fly it, um, legacy airlines has, uh, I forget how many they have 200, 230. I forget how many they have, but they have a whole bunch of them. Um, one of the largest operators and obviously, uh, uh, Southwest is an op. They only fly 737s. Um, so uh, it's, it's a great airplane and know air, no airplane is immune to, uh, problems. Um, but, uh, you know, this design is basically, I think they started, what, in the late sixties and it's still around. So it's a proven design, trustworthy design, uh, with all that being said, um, I think it's, uh, it's ready to go. Uh, honestly, to be fully honest. So I, you know, being the pilot that I, uh, I flown the max when it first, uh, came out, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great flying airplane of course uh knowing now what 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 uh what was wrong with the airplane um, I feel that you know obviously it needed some uh needed some modifications and and fixing and looks like it's gone through that process and then some and so uh I'm looking forward to getting in in the plane again and flying it again. it's a great flying airplane uh it it flies really well. And, uh, I think, you know, that, uh, it remains to be seen, uh, what they're going to teach us in the training. Um, so, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing that. I think they're probably obviously going to talk about the, uh, what happened, um, in the, uh, in the two previous accidents and what they, uh, what the, what was the problem and what the fix was and what are the changes to the, uh, yeah, you know, how do we operate the airplane with these changes? So it'd be pretty neat to see that. Um, we will be able to uh test those out ourselves in the sim simulator. And I would imagine a majority of the sim time will be spent um, you know, learning uh how to deal with those situations that have been a problem for the Max in the past. So um, uh, you know, the the airplane, the max is uh fundamentally the same as all the other airplanes. Um with the exception of some of this, uh, flight, comp- flight computer software in it. So we'll be, uh, definitely learning the new changes and how to, how to, how are there our checklists and policies and procedures will address, uh, the new operation of the airplane. So it's going to be uh, fun, I can't wait to fly it again. Um, it's a good airplane. It really is. And, it, and it's a shame that they've had to, you know, park them for, I guess, what, two years.
0: Yeah, it's been a long so, time. And, yeah. and it's a, really meant to take over to help retire some of the older aircraft that have a lot That's of right. total time on the airframe. So the sooner they get this thing Correct. rolling, the better it's going to be for the companies exactly. out there that are flying it, both here in the U.S. and overseas. Yeah. And as we're sitting yeah. here talking about this, we've had some late breaking news. What?
1: what?
0: That's right. Uh, as we're sitting here talking, uh, Legacy Airlines has sent out an email to all of their pilots indicating that uh, the 737 MAX 8 update Indicates that on September 21st, the FAA closed the public comment period on the max return to service. Notice of proposed rulemaking, the NPRM, because we need Uh more acronyms. We must have more acronyms. We need that. One of the items outlined in the NPRM is to revise the existing airplane's flight manual, or the AFM. And uh, they're going to do that and incorporate news and revised flight crew procedures. The FAA must still address all the comments prior to release of the final AD, airworthiness directive, expected in October. So all right. we could pot- potentially see an, an AD on this aircraft uh, in October. So all yeah. the airlines that own these airplanes will be able to incorporate whatever needs to be taken care of. And I'm sure they'll do that relatively yeah. quickly. When the AD compliance is completed and the final FSB report is published, the aircraft can be ungrounded and training plans approved for the return to service for airlines. So there you go. They're anticipating this thing to roll out relatively quickly. Yeah. The company also indicates that over the next few months or so that these steps are going to be finalized and completed with and expect an active information rollout for all of our flight crews. But until then, if you have any questions, blah, 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 contact, yep. contact the people that are in charge. So that was timely. Yeah. You know, as we're sitting here talking about it, Things my phone just them. went, ding. you,
1: uh, you got me. Nice. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I, I, like I just said, it's, it's a, it's highly anticipated every 737 pilot that I talked to, um, they look forward to flying the plane again uh there nobody's afraid to fly it um the the pilots that have flown the airplane love it. The pilots that have flown the max love it yeah uh it's it's a it's a nice improvement from like you said the older seven thirty sevens um the screens are more um easier to look at uh, they still provide the same information as the other airplanes do just the the the, the original seven, the, well, the 737s that we fly now, they have six screens on them. Um, and the max, I believe it only has three of them. So three big screens, three big ones. Yeah. Yep. Three big ones. And so all the information that was on the six LCD screens are now presented on the three, uh, I think they're led screens now. So instead of LCD, they're LEDs. So they're did you get the new touchscreen ones? No, I, mean, I wish we did. That'd be nice. Every pilot
0: wishes for <laughs> that because every time I get she in an airplane, have. every single monitor yeah. has fingerprints all Fingerprint. over them, which drives Why me freaking right? nuts, man. Yeah.
1: Yeah, oh I know. Doesn't God. that drive you nuts? And you know yeah. what it is? And then you know when the sun is? hits it just right, oh, yeah. you get that glare and the smudgy fingerprints and you just can't see anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what it is. Yeah. it's a, They go, what's it
0: doing? Look right there. And they yeah, put their right finger there. on
1: it. <laughs> Right there, and they What's get the it doing? big oil, oil array around the thing. Got to push it harder to see. Oh, look, colors. Personally, I think <laughs> it's the maintenance
0: technicians They come in and go. Well, we're looking for eight quarts. Let me put my finger on it until it gets to eight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yep. So, no, but yeah. good. So I, I'm excited to see the Max return. Uh, I've never yeah. had a major issue with the Max. Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, I can remember one of my first uh, posts uh, flying mm-hmm. in the back. I was deadheading flying uh, landing in Miami and this was during uh the whole argument that they're gonna ground this aircraft because of the two crashes. Uh and I made a posting I'm like, hey man, I'm deadheading on the back of this thing. I feel totally safe. I'm sure that our uh pilots here at Legacy Airlines and across the US have been trained accordingly and Uh, the airplane is perfectly safe because at the time a lot of passengers like oh my god is it safe Uh, oh no it's the max get me off this plane i won't fly on it um yeah and like you said there's a
1: lot of unknown
0: there the the, going on yeah that airplane is going to be so scrutinized at this point by the time it comes back you know the 737 what they're calling it what the 800m or something like that
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I I think they're going to call it the dash eight, the dash eight. Yeah. 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 Which we already have a dat, you know, there was already an airplane out there that was called the dash eight, but I don't know if they still fly those around here anymore, but yeah, I think that's the new PR change. They're going from calling it the max to the dash eight. Yeah. So
0: let's see what happens. Uh, I, I feel perfectly safe as do you, um, and you get to fly it. So
1: yeah, that'd be cool to do like a live, uh, post yeah. from uh getting ready to fly this I, bad boy <laughs> i yeah, uh, yeah that's actually a good one uh, maybe i can arrange it or just kind of sneak it in there but um you know most people don't realize that my ioe my first flight in a 737 was on a max
0: oh <laughs> so
1: and, and this is probably not good news for uh for anybody listening but uh or any of my <laughs> any of my passengers that were on that particular flight but my first flight in the Boeing 737 max on IOE was also the Czech airman's first flight on the max. Uh, remember when we first got them, the only people that were allowed to fly them were the Czech airmen's. Right. So when we, uh, when I met my Czech airmen in the uh, crew room in LaGuardia, uh, for, uh, for our, you know, meet and greet. And then, you know, Hey, let's go fly. Uh, the uh, the team from legacy airlines was in the crew room with all of the uh, training material for the Max because they were supposed to be there to brief all the check airmen. So hey guys, let's make sure we remember some of the little differences that are that are um, um, in this airplane that uh, you need to know about before you go fly the new you know, the new airplane and take it to the skies. And let's refresh, do a quick refresher here in the in the um, in the crew room before we head out and fly the airplane. So that was my IOE experience was, you know, here we are at the Czech airman and, and, you know, I I was like, what? And I didn't, honestly, I didn't even know I was going to fly a max because I hadn't quite gotten to the point of my training where in our, uh, you know, reading our schedules, it tells you what kind of, you know, airplane, exact aircraft it is. So the numbers didn't jive with, you know, hey, this number is a max. So so I just showed up and he's like, Oh, we're gonna be flying a max today. And I was like, Oh, cool, great, should be fun, you know, looking forward to it. I can't wait. So, so that's uh, all you we heard about and was the
0: response on the rollout uh, the typical IOE response that you would get from your passengers from the rollout?
1: <laughs> no, I don't think they even had a clue that they were on a brand new airplane. <laughs> they they just got off because we flew to miami from uh, new york and they i think they got off the airplane and went on their cruises and didn't care what they were on or (laughs) no you're just happy to be there (laughs) i truly believe
0: that uh, after one of your landings regardless if it was ioe or whatnot
1: (laughs) the response would have been appropriate Uh, (laughs) oh what is it (laughs) oh i I figured I I like the response of no response. Like they didn't even know the plane landed, you know, just roll the tires onto the runway. Oh yeah. Show up at the gate and they're like, wow, I didn't even know we landed. That was that's, a good job. That's very good. <laughs> that's very good. That's what I expect. Every time. Every time. It's not what I get. <laughs> no, that's uh, what I expect. <laughs> yeah. I usually get full eight feet of, of, of landing gear extension travel on my landings. <laughs>
0: One last thing before we uh, wrap it up here today, I just wanted to mention a big thank you to the Airline Pilot Guy podcast. I've been listening to their show now for quite some time. Their show is quite an inspiration. They've been on the air for a very long time, and uh, they're just a great group of people. Talking about aviation, aviation incidents and accidents, uh, they break them down. Kind of call the uh, the BS flag on some of these uh, agencies that are reporting on the uh, the particular incident. Uh, they also have a very great community over there of people that just love aviation, uh, and it's a pleasure to listen to their show. I've written in a few times and sent them some audio feedback, uh, which I encourage all of you out there to do the same for us. And we'd love to air that on the show as well. Um, so a big thank you to the APG. Uh, I was recently, uh, had them read a little letter that I sent them on episode. What was it? Four, four, three. I think it was that I mentioned.
1: That sounds yeah.
0: right. And, uh, yeah, they're very, very kind and gracious to read that feedback and kind of plug our show here at Squawk ID. Den. So big, thank you to, uh, to Captain Jeff, and Nick, and Steph, and, uh, and Miami Rick, and of course, Liz, their producer. Uh, what a great group. Um, so I look forward to listening to the future shows and to participate in their community involvement. We encourage you to also get involved with us. Uh, in the future, we do have, as soon as this you know, pandemic and restrictions start to Fade away with time. We would also like to have some meetups here with the Squawk Ident crew. Uh, if you're kind of curious, you know, you're listening to the audio only podcast and you kind of want to see who we are, a uh, good way to do that is check out our YouTube channel. Our YouTube channel can be found at Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident. And of course, that's AV, the number eight, R T O N Y, and Squawk Ident podcast. Uh, there you can check out some very short clips. I it's a lot of work to kind of edit this podcast down and pull out all the little dead air and, and all the you know things that we say, want to re-say it again and whatnot. So we try to produce a podcast that is pleasing to listen to with not a lot of ums and ahs like some of the other podcasts out there that uh, we may have listened to or stumbled across. You know, Drunk Guys in a Basement is really funny, but there's only so much you can listen to Drunk Guys hey. in a Basement. Drunk guys in a cockpit. No, oh. it. That'd, that'd be a bad podcast. <laughs> we can't that. do that. One. Sorry. That's not scratch one of ours.
1: that. <laughs> Good idea
0: though. <laughs> also, now something really exciting has happened to podcasting. Uh, you know, there's so many podcast players out there that are a great place to get your favorite podcast. Uh, we particularly like the Apple Podcasts and the Spotify and the and the Google players and whatnot. But now amazon is getting into the mix you've heard of amazon music all those prime members out there get free amazon music and amazon video well now amazon music if you download the update to their app they now have amazon music and podcast and uh, i've been in contact with them in over the past few weeks uh, they had us fill out some forms so that we could be featured on their release and sure enough All you got to do is tell your Alexa to play Squawk Ident Podcast, and you'll hear the latest episode right there from your smart speaker. So check it out. Let us know what you think. And by all means, visit our website at www.aviatortony.com. There you can download episode archives. If you don't do that from a player uh, particularly, you can do it right there. Uh, You can see flight line photos from some of our special guests that we've had on the show. If you might see something that inspires you to start your flying lessons today. And that's really what we're excited about. To get everyone out there that has an interest in aviation to take that first step. Hopefully we were giving you a little bit of what's involved here in the airline profession and all the struggles that we have to overcome on a daily basis. Rob, is there anything else that you want to get out there?
1: Thank you uh, for everybody at the APG podcast. Again, I do listen to it um, regularly and I do enjoy your, your podcasts and uh, I always look forward to the next show. And, and when I do get a chance, I do watch it on uh, YouTube and Facebook live. That's pretty fun to watch too. Um, So yeah, thank you there. And um, yeah, no, it's been a good show. I really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity and it's a pleasure and an honor to be here talking about what we love the most uh, aviation and everything aviation related with you Tony and uh, and all of our guests and I look forward to doing it again and I gotta say thank you so very much
0: for John H for sending us a donation to the show thanks John in closing I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators keep the dirty side down out there Be safe, be kind, and take care of each other. Bye, everyone. See ya.